Hello, Damien Kerrick with you. Welcome to The Law Report. When a jury hears competing witness accounts of an event, how does it decide who to believe? Today, two childhood friends talk in depth about an event that destroyed many lives. It's an awkward meeting. It's just um, a lot of emotions. That's, that's the truth. Yeah. yeah. LM, what's it like to see Khalid? Uh, emotional. Big time. Heart's pumping. We can't use LM's real name because LM stood trial for murder as a minor. He's meeting Khalid Baker, his co-accused. In 2008, the pair stood trial for murder. Khalid was found guilty and he spent 13 years behind bars. He's just been released from jail. LM was found not guilty. And as we'll hear later, he's burdened by this. Two teenagers have been charged with murder over the death of a 22-year-old man at a party in Brunswick last weekend. It's alleged that Albert Snowball from Western Australia died after he was pushed out of a window at a warehouse party attended by up to 200 people. The prosecution case was that LM and Carla Baker had acted in concert and they were both charged with murder. Professor David Hamer is an expert in evidence law based at the University of Sydney. Now, for them to be guilty of murder, you need a, a tacit agreement between them that they were intending to do serious harm to Albert Snowball, to the victim, and then that one of them had actually caused the death with that intention. And it doesn't matter which one actually pushed him out the window. As long as no. one pushed him out the window, one or That's both right. of them could be found guilty according to this legal construction. That's right. Nor was it necessary that they intended to cause his death by pushing him through the window. So the push might have been just part of the fight. It needn't be that you know this was a, a plan to kill him by pushing him out the window. But what was required was to act in concert with the intention of inflicting really serious injury. That's right, yes. How common are these sorts of prosecutions? They're quite common in this kind of case where there's a lot of confusion about what went on. So in these kinds of situations where you've got a very confusing fight that occurs, in another case you might have a bank robbery that went wrong and you, you can't identify who all the bank robbers were perhaps, but you've got the defendant, the defendant was one of them, someone else did the killing, you might be able to get the defendant for murder in that situation. Both Khalid and LM are Ethiopian Australians. On the 27th of November 2005, LM was 17 years old. He was an aspiring hip-hop musician. Khalid was 18 years old and he was a champion junior boxer. Homicide Squad Inspector Steve Francis says they're still looking for witnesses. There was an incident uh, in the vicinity of the dance floor which uh, resulted in uh, Mr Snowball being pushed uh, through a window from the first floor and falling approximately four metres to the roadway below. So let's go back to the evening of the 26th of November 2005. Khalid, you and some friends attended a warehouse party in Hope Street in Brunswick. and the party... One friend, one friend. LM was my friend, no one else. So LM invited you to come with him and a group of his friends yes. to this party. There was only five people in the car. It was me, LM, Ali and two other people. I, I don't know who they were. Now, the party was in an upstairs warehouse or, or a studio space. And, and to enter the building, you go up a set of stairs that double back on itself. And at the top of the stairs on the landing, there's a floor-to-ceiling glass window facing the street. 
and the entrance to the studio or the warehouse is on the right. So kind of a fancy dress roller skating party with a couple hundred people there, we think. LM, you actually performed at the party, didn't you? You went to the party because you'd been invited to perform. There was going to be an African band there and you were also invited to go up and perform a few songs with them. Yeah, it wasn't an African band. It was just African people playing in the band. It was a hip-hop band. Shortly after LM performed for this diverse crowd, Ali, who's not African-Australian, started a fight. Now, from this point on, there are two very different versions of events. Khalid says he and LM went to break up the fight, but the crowd turned on them, forcing them to fight in self-defence. In stark contrast, many partygoers gave evidence that Ali and Khalid started viciously attacking random partygoers. It was the prosecution case that Ali, Khalid and to a lesser extent LM were highly aggressive and that partygoers, including women, were punched and struck with bottles. The prosecution described these attacks as unprovoked and marked by the most extravagant violence. Ali pleaded guilty and was sentenced to five years jail for offences arising from the fight inside the upstairs warehouse. Here's Khalid's version of what happened next on the landing. We were rushing to get out. You went on to the landing? We were rushing to get out down to the middle of the landing. Some guy came out swearing whatever it was. Ali was behind me. Ali started going back up to the stairs. I followed him up. I grabbed the chair. Someone grabbed the chair off me. You were going to attack the guy? I was going to, yeah, I was the guy who was abusing whatever it was, you know. I grabbed the chair, tried to hit the person. Um, someone grabbed the chair off me. I was getting held. LM came out. You had the chair taken off you? Yeah. And then you went down the stairs? I was getting held. LM, what happened at that point? What's your version of events? So we come out of the incident that happened inside. Ali was in front of me because I was pushing him out to go outside to stop this fight from getting any worse. Once we got out onto the landing, two, maybe three steps down, some dude came out. He started cursing over my shoulders to Ali. Then I turned around. I told the dude, look, we're leaving. Just relax. I stand in between them, arms out. So there was no further fight happening. As I did that, the guy hit me. The guy that's passed away, Snowball. Um, I'm like, hey, why did you do that? We got into a scuffle. We were possibly like maybe a metre, a metre and a half away from the window at the time. And then I pushed him away. I turned around and I walked out, down the steps, the two flight of steps. At this whole time when this was happening, Kali was not near me or any of the other guys that were with me at the party. So you pushed him away, yeah. you walked down the stairs, what happened next? He was like right in front of the door. So like when you walked, so you walked down the steps, which backed on themselves, and then you walked right down. Correct. It was you a, walked out the, a footpath there. You, you walked out onto the footpath mm -hmm. and you saw Albert Snowball lying unconscious on the footpath. Yeah. Your belief is that you were the last person to touch him. Correct. You pushed him away, but you didn't see him go through the window. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, yes. And that's what you said in the, your recorded statement of interview with police that night. That's I've been saying that since day one. <laughs> you've always been consistent about this. This is what you've said from the word go. Correct. Kelly, did you see this? Where were you at this point I was, on your version of events? Like I told you, I grabbed the chair. Someone grabbed me, grabbed the chair off me. I ran down to the middle of the landing. Did you see LM push... 
I never seen Ellen push him because I was already downstairs, okay. down in the middle. So you emerged onto the street and by that stage the deceased was already on the street. Yes. And then a few steps behind you was LM. Yes. At that point, the five young men who had arrived together fled the scene. We rushed to the car. The car um, jumped in the car. I was driving. You all went in the same car? Yes. And then another piece of evidence was a number of people in that car mm -hmm. uh, gave statements that you made admissions. Saying, look what you made me do. Yeah. yeah. You said to because, Ali, yeah. look what Ali you made me do. Ali started the fight. That's what he was, he was dirty about. Uh, there were um, a few incidents prior to me performing that Ali was causing and I was telling him to leave. I was telling him the whole night to calm down, to stop causing trouble. So my, me saying, look what you made me do, was that because you couldn't control yourself, look what has happened. There are these two pieces of evidence, the police interview, where you very much told the police exactly what you've said here and now about you pushing Albert, mm -hmm. uh, turning around, walking down the stairs, not looking back and then coming back down and then finding his body on the ground and you, you feeling that you were the last person to touch him. The, the prosecution argument was that Khalid and LM, you were both attacking the deceased. You, you were acting in concert or acting together with a common plan and the mental element was that, you know, there was this intention to cause the deceased really serious injury. I never assaulted this man. You had kind of lifted a chair though. Yeah, but I never assaulted him. There's also... Witness evidence, right? Four witnesses say, Khalid, they say you were the man who led the attack yes. on Albert. Because can I, does, can does I ask you a question? How, how did they know it was Khalid? Nobody knew us. Nobody knew us. But I can they, say they say it's Khalid, but how? You don't know him. One witness would say he was wearing this. Another witness would say he had this top of hair, but would give the same interaction with this person. So who do we know who Khalid was or who, who I was? But I know uh, it's cases out there where now it proves that sometimes what witnesses say is not true in the sense of when they give eyewitness accounts, what they believe in their head is not what they're really seeing. And when it came to me, there, it was four white witnesses who said, yeah, it was Khalid. Then it was four black witnesses who said it wasn't me. And the when, say, a white person sees an Asian and you say, oh, they all look alike, they really mean it because they can't really tell the difference. And it was like that with the white witnesses. They couldn't really tell who was who. That when it came to the black witnesses, some of the black witnesses who knew LM could spot, know the difference between myself and LM. So there were these competing witness accounts. Yes, Four white people said you were the one who was leading the they, attack. They assumed that. They, they assumed that. And there was evidence of three people who were African descent, and they said that you, LM, not you, Khalid, mm -hmm. was the person who was the last person to touch Albert. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, that was correct. So the jury preferred the evidence of the four white witnesses who singled out Khalid over the evidence of the three African witnesses who singled out LM. In his summing up, LM's defence barrister argued that the evidence of these three African witnesses was flawed. One African witness, who didn't know either of the accused, said he saw two fights. LM was fighting the deceased when the window smashed, and at that same moment, Khalid was fighting someone else. 
LM's barrister described this witness as unreliable because in a previous police statement he said that he wasn't on the landing at all. The two other African witnesses had come to the party in the car with the accused. One said that while he was restraining Ali, he saw LM fighting the deceased. The other witness said he was holding back Khalid, also preventing him from rejoining the violence. Although these two men were friends of LM and had only recently met Khalid, LM's defence barrister implied that they both had a strong self-interest in presenting themselves as peacemakers, well away from the violence. But what about LM's admissions in his police interview? I intend to interview you in relation to uh, serious assaults which took place at uh, Hope Street, Brunswick last night where a male received some life-threatening injuries. And I'm pushing off in down the stairs backwards. What did the jury make of those admissions? You're probably assuming that during the trial, Khalid's defence team reminded the jury as often as possible about LM's admission that he was the last person to touch Albert Snowball, who died from his injuries two days later. But Khalid's defence team weren't allowed to do this. Professor David Hamer says this evidence is what's known as hearsay evidence, and it's only admissible in a very narrow way. The exception to the hearsay rule only extends to admissions. So LM's admissions were admitted at trial in the prosecution case against LM to try and prove his guilt beyond reasonable doubt. But the other defendant, Khalid Baker, wasn't allowed to rely upon LM's statements to police, those parts of the statements that exonerated him. And so Baker wasn't allowed to rely upon LM's admissions. So it's really kind of curious. This information is there for the jury to hear and the defence team for LM can say, no, no, this is not what he meant or this is how this information should be interpreted. But the defence team for Khalid Baker couldn't do the same. They couldn't say, look, please, jury, look at this and, and focus on this when you're trying to come to a determination beyond reasonable doubt whether or not one or both of the accused are guilty. That's right. It, it becomes very difficult for the trial judge to explain to the jury how to use the evidence because the trial judge will be saying, well, on the one hand, you've heard this account by LM and you can use it in this way, but when you're considering the other defendant, Carla Baker, you've got to put it out of your mind. You've got to disregard it altogether. What do you make of that? I mean, does that make sense? It's kind of counterintuitive. Well, it's, it is a bit counterintuitive. This trial took place in 2008. In 2010, Victoria adopted the Uniform Evidence Law, a code that also operates in New South Wales, Tasmania and the Commonwealth. David Hamer says that under this code, the exceptions to the hearsay rule are much broader for defendants. So if this trial had been heard just two years later... Khalid Baker's lawyers could have pointed to LM's admissions. In 2012, Khalid Baker did go to the High Court arguing that this was unfair. But the High Court disagreed. The High Court said that it would only consider overturning the established law of the day if there had been a miscarriage of justice. And because four witnesses identified Khalid Baker as the attacker, it was open to the jury to find him guilty. Appeal courts defer a great deal to juries. Personally, I see problems in this case. I don't have a great deal of confidence in the conviction of Baker, which isn't to say he's necessarily innocent. I just, given the state of the evidence, given the amount of confusion, there were different witnesses saying different things, and then you've got LM's admission exonerating Baker. In all of those circumstances, I don't have a great deal of confidence in the conviction of Baker. But 
procedurally for the justice system to work a line has to be drawn at some point and we have to say well that's the decision that the court has made that's where it stands we can't keep on revisiting this so that's the principle of finality so in this case both the court of appeal in victoria and the high court clearly took the view that there was evidence on which a jury could convict even though there were conflicts in the evidence a jury might well have accepted the evidence which pointed the finger quite clearly at baker in the victorian court of appeal the court said well actually that group of witnesses that said that they saw baker push snowball out the window their evidence was more consistent more corroborated so it's understandable perhaps that a jury would accept their evidence that's the reasoning of the appeal courts both victorian court of appeal and the High Court. I'm wondering too, neither LM nor Khalid Baker took to the witness box to uh, give evidence in their own defence, but the jury presumably would have had information about who they were. And I'm wondering if the underage aspiring rap artist came across to the jury perhaps better than somebody who is an aspiring boxer. I'm wondering how that played into the thinking of the jury. It's impossible to know, but... Well, that's that's interesting because on the one hand, LM was quite open with police. He went to the police station with his father. He sat down. He spoke to the police for an hour. He seemed quite open. He made admissions. And that evidence was played for the jury. So he might have come across quite well and prepared to wear some of the blame for it. Yeah, that's right. At the same time, though, the jury didn't seem to fully accept his version of events. So LM's statements to police may have played well with the jury, may have made the jury like, I mean, he was obviously speculating, may have made the jury like LM and be more prepared to accept the the case presented by LM's barrister at trial. But they didn't seem to fully accept the accuracy of what he was saying. It seems that the prosecution are trying to have it both ways. They're trying to say, here's this evidence which is Mm. saying LM is guilty or pointing to LM's guilt, but then we're also saying it's pointing to Khalid Baker's guilt, even though you could argue that they're almost mutually exclusive if you interpret the evidence in a certain way. Well, that's right. If the jury fully accepted LM's evidence, they would have convicted LM and they wouldn't have convicted Baker, but they did the opposite. So the prosecution were relying upon the bits of LM's statements which incriminated LM, but the prosecution, even putting the hearsay rule to to one side, the prosecution were arguing in a way which was inconsistent with other parts of LM's statement. So they wanted to take the bits where LM made the admissions, but they wanted to disregard the rest. A champion boxer has been sentenced to 17 years jail for murdering a man during a fight at a party in Melbourne's North in 2005. 21-year-old Khalid Baker will serve a non-parole period of 12 years. This is The Law Report. I'm Damien Carrick. Today, a case of two young men charged with murder. Khalid Baker was found guilty and he went to jail. LM was found not guilty. So how did LM react to his acquittal? Um, well, at first, obviously, when we were in the cells and I went back to the cells after finding out guilty, I gave I was, him a hug. I was, I was, I gave I was, him I was pretty hug. wrapped. I was like, I mean, Kelly, we're like, you're your next man, like, we're going home. But then, uh, like, I think a week later, I found out that Kelly was found guilty. 
yeah, it was not a. Um, I, I was, I was shocked really. So, you feel responsible for Albert Snowball's death? Hundred percent. I feel that. Um, I, I still believe I was the last person to have contact with him, but I just can't help to feel the, that it was my like me fighting that person, and I was the last person to touch him. How he, he went out the window, I'm not clear. I don't remember that. But I still feel like that you, there was not Khalid that did that, like a hundred percent. It was not him, or he was it. there. Yeah. So, do you think that if anybody should have gone to jail for Albert Snowball's death, it should have been you? Yeah. Not As Khalid. A, say that again. No, Khalid. Me. It should have been me. Do you feel guilty about that? But I feel remorse that someone's died, and I feel remorse that I've lost a friend because of this. I've also lost a lot of people because of this. It's a lonely place out here, man. Uh, there's not a lot of family here. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. Do I feel guilty? Like, do I f- feel that I murdered him? No, I don't feel that. Was it an accident? 100%. Um, so, like, uh, it's hard to just phrase it as, do I feel guilty? Someone that actually put a knife in someone's body knows that they did it and they're getting away with it and therefore they live their life of guilt. I don't feel like I was the person that pushed him out the window, but I feel guilty that because of that situation, a life, a life has been lost. That's the guilt that I feel. And also a friend of mine during time, something he didn't do. Do you feel maybe you're guilty of manslaughter? I can't answer that question. I don't know how I would answer that question for you. So like it's a legally complicated one, but oh, yeah, exactly. I don't know how I'd answer that yeah. question for you. That'd be putting words in my mouth. I don't know what the legalities are, or if I'm allowed to say that, or what comes out of this. Mm. But I can only speak on my feelings. LM, do you think about this every day? Yeah, I, I did a lot of drugs after it. Yeah, I've I've went down even the path of just ending it all, killing myself. And you think that's connected to the feelings of of guilt and regret mm. about what took place? How are you going now? Uh, yeah, yeah I, f- I find my spots where I can be happy about it, but every time it gets raised, it's just, you know, it takes a week or two just to get over it. Khalid, yes. you got out of jail in October. Yes. What was that like, being in jail for 13 years? It was a shit place. To know that you sat there for 13 years for something you didn't do. I didn't even lay a hand on this person and I sat in jail for 13 years to wake up every morning to be a convicted murderer. That's how they looked at me. And what are your plans now that you're out of jail? To be the next heavyweight champion of the world, to accomplish what I've started at a young age. My dream was always to become the best of what I do. I was never someone who was articulate at school, articulate with my words, but... I had a drive in my sports. Do you ever think about Albert Snowball? Every day. Do you feel that you have any responsibility? When I have the remorse, no, I have no remorse because to have remorse is to say you're guilty of something, to be guilty of what uh, what happened that night. I don't have remorse, but I, I feel for the family. I, I feel the pain for the family. Whatever happened inside the party, whatever, I didn't... I didn't touch Albert Snowball. Dr. Michelle Reuters is the director of the Innocence Initiative at RMIT University. 
She believes this case involves a miscarriage of justice and she plans, down the track, to lodge a second petition of mercy to the Victorian government. We don't have the whole story still. There are certainly huge problems with practical aspects to the investigation that we need more information about. The physical environment of the fight, not enough, I think, was probably made of this. That that space, and you've been there, it's four metres by two. There are 11 people in there. Right. The only light is actually over the stairwell and that's very dimly lit. We know because the witnesses have said that the place was absolutely littered with bottles and probably spilt liquids. So I find it very difficult to believe that in this kind of fight situation that these five witnesses have very clear pictures of what they saw, that they could see over people to see what was happening. Add to that what we already know, the use of racial lenses in identification of people, in misidentifying people, is very well documented. Khalid's spoken very articulately about this. But add to that, the, well, we don't know for sure, but certainly some witnesses basically said to the police, I've still been drinking. You add the potential of alcohol and drug use to the lenses through which they identified someone, race alcohol use, drug use, then you're starting to get uh, probably a very unreliable picture of what happened on, on the landing. These are people who just been through a traumatic experience. They're spilling into the street. They're spilling out into their friendship groups. So they're already out there contaminating whatever memories that they have because they'll be talking amongst each other. I don't know, you know, did you see this? And so how can you possibly be sure that that's your original memory and it hasn't been contaminated by what somebody else has said? So a lot of what we've been trying to do is work out who was there and try to locate other people who might have had information. Realistically, what do you think the prospect of, of a Victorian government is to grant Kelly a pardon? They're as rare as hen's teeth. Well, I can't even remember the last one they granted. They are rare, but that's absolutely no reason not to persist. Our job is to uncover as much as possible. While there may not necessarily be a legal outcome that's going to benefit Khalid, we can certainly do as much as we can to uncover what we believe are the injustices, the practices that lead to miscarriages of justice in the first place. You know, after, like, after spending in this room an hour, we spend an hour uh, seeing his smile again, it brings comfort, it brings the memories back, it brings... We used to play soccer, we used to be in different primary schools and we used to play soccer and I'm like, I'm better than you, I'll beat your soccer team, this and that. He used to come down like into school soccer. Do I have anything against him? No, I, I was angry for a long time for what happened. I know it wasn't him, but I was angry at the situation. I was angry what his lawyers done. I, I was angry that he didn't do more for me. Do I hold that against him now? No, I don't. Do I forgive him for, for it? Yes, I love the bloke. And I, I know that he truly loves me too, and I know that he suffered too. I'm not saying the family of Albert Solomon hasn't suffered. I'll always go back to that because at the end of the day, it was, it was a person who lost his life. It was a tragic thing what happened. LM, what, what's it like to see Khalid? I, I mean, I honestly, seriously can't wait till we finish this interview so I can have a chat to him. <laughs> and I'm an emotional person, so like I'm feeling this. <laughs> it's good to see that his spirit is still, if not more, as, as bright as it is now. Like, I can't imagine what it's like to do that much time and come out like this. 
LM, who in 2008 was found not guilty of murder. He was speaking there with Khalid Baker, who was found guilty of murder and served 13 years in prison. That's The Law Report. Thanks to producer Anita Barrow and to technical producer Brendan O'Neill. And that was our final program for 2018. Over the summer, we'll bring you some of our favourite shows from the last year. Now, before I sign off, I want to acknowledge producer Anita Barrow's enormous contribution to the program each and every week. Anita, thank you. I'm Damien Carrick, wishing you a wonderful festive season and summer break. Talk to you next year. Listener.